Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So I'll tell you what, two pieces of, of advice for the, uh, for the uh, home cinema viewer of advancing years, which I've been reminded of this morning. We're recording this on Sunday morning, aren't we? Yeah. And uh, I'm just telling you that I've just been enjoying one of my favourite things to do on Sunday morning, which is watch the rest of a film. That you fell asleep in the middle of. <laughs> started on Saturday night or whatever's fell asleep or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like sitting on the sofa, you've had a slice of toast, you've got a cup of tea, you know, it's half past eight in the morning or whatever. You're not going to fall asleep in the next 10 minutes and you're going to watch the film with all your faculties. That's great fun. So that's piece of advice one. It, it, oh, it's what, true. What, we start, what we start at seven o'clock usually. The movie starts at seven o'clock. Have a little break for supper. And because oh, if you if you start about you know nine o'clock at night, there's a strong chance that you're nudging each other, going, "What's who's this bloke? What's happening well, also, now?" Now this is the second piece of advice, Mark, for the for the uh, Sunday morning uh, oh. film for your advancing years. Put the subtitles on, regardless oh, yeah. of whether the film's supposedly in English or not. Because the way films are mixed nowadays, you simply can't hear what's going on. So I've just been I've just been watching Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in Heat. Uh, I watched the entire central scene where the two of them are co- have a cup of coffee to, together in a diner, and thoroughly understood it for probably the first time because I was reading the subtitles while listening to them talking. So that's those are my two pieces of advice. Could you have okay. got through the wire without the subtitles? No, I watched the whole of the wire with subtitles. Yeah, we did too. I, they, they, my my understanding of it was vastly enhanced by doing yeah. that. You know, because they're, they're mumbling actors, and you see, this is the problem: is the director and the writer they've seen the script. We at home, we haven't. And we only get know. one crack at it. So, exactly, and it's gone. What? We're we're only catching twenty percent of what what's uh-huh. in there. You know. So anyway, okay, stack waddy game. Shall I go? Go on, go first. Uh, we were talking the other week, I think, about uh, people whose work had passed out of copyright in the year 2021. Yeah. And I think we talked about George Bernard Shaw, George Orwell and people like that. We didn't mention 
somebody whose work he was proud to say is out of copyrights because he's still with us is the great Tom Lehrer, the great satirical oh, yeah, songwriter. Yes. The man who gave Doing us the, the Vatican Masochism. rag. Yeah, yeah. the Masochism. Ave Maria. Gee, it's good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're with me, you know, oh. plagiarise, 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 let no one's no work one's in plagiarise. <laughs> All that stuff. So, okay, so now I've got a number of song titles here, and you have to tell me whether these are the work of the great satirical songwriter Tom Lehrer or stupid songs from less well-known Elvis Presley films. Okay? That's are you... good. That's good. Are you oh, ready? Lord, it's so long since I've heard them that I'm not going to remember the Lira ones, but go on, far away. Okay, here we go. Petunia, the gardener's daughter. Is that a work of the satirical songwriter Tom Lira or uh, an uncelebrated Elvis Presley song from that uh, must one of be less Tom celebrated films? It must be Tom Lehrer because it's too quirky and ironic and clever for an Elvis Presley uh, movie, surely. Well, well, there you'd be wrong, Mark, because I win the first round because Frankie and Johnny film in 1966 starring Elvis Presley, he sings, I love Petunia the Gardener's Daughter. Oh, how that gal can kiss. Her eyes are blue <laughs> as bluebells, each cheek a rose to see. How I dance when she plants her two lips on me. Okay, that's, that's the first pretty, one. pretty all right. Here, one up. Here we go. There's no room to rumba in a sports car. Is that one of the whatever the celebrated songs of the great Tom Lira or Ed Elvis Presley song? Presley. I'm sorry, that's Presley. It is. It's from Fun in Alcapulco, yeah, 1963. There's, it. No room, there's no room to rumba in a sports car. You can't move forward or back. There's no room to do what the beat tells you to without throwing your spine out of a rack. <laughs> <laughs> That's genius. That's Isn't fantastic. That That's a great bit of writing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about the Wiener Schnitzel Waltz? That I, Wiener... I'm afraid I pretty much know that's Tom Lehrer. <laughs> I remember the night I held you so tight yeah. as we danced to the Wiener Schnitzel Waltz. <laughs> I mean, your mum and your mum and dad probably had a, a, a had a Tom Lehrer albums, didn't you? They didn't actually. We had some mates in it. I can still, I vividly remember the mid sixties. Thought they were absolutely incredible. Tried to memorise them. There's still footage uh, of him, isn't there? There's still footage of him seeing uh, these things. Well, he's Go still he's still with us. He's, still with he's, us. 90, he's ninety-two years old. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. How about do the clam? Do the clam? Is that Tom Lehrer or Elvis Presley? Do the clam. There's a clam. It could be either, couldn't it? It could be. There were so many dance vogues going on in the time that Lehrer was writing these. You might well have tried to lampoon the whole concept. So, I'm going to say Presley, though, actually. It is. It's from Girl yeah, Happy. Right. Yeah. Do the clam, do the clam, grab your barefoot, barefoot baby by the hand, turn and tease, hug and squeeze, dig right in and do the clam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> poisoning pigeons in the park. <laughs> oh, oh, that's terrible because I remember him singing this. <laughs> it's Tom Lehrer. It is Tom Lehrer. When the sea is... When they see us coming, the birdies all try and hide, but they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide. <laughs> oh, joy. He's now, uh, okay, I'm going to leave you with this one. On. He's your uncle. He's your uncle, not your dad. He's your uncle, not your dad. Is Tom that Tom Lira 
or Elvis Presley? It's, I think it's a Presley. It's a Presley movie. I think it is. It's it's he's your uncle. He's your uncle, not your dad. It's from Speedway, in 1968. Oh, those, those okay, fantastic. Well, those fantastic. There. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, look, I've got a big pile that I've been chiseling away at, oh, but I'm going right. to mention no. I'm going to um, going to mention one here from an original idea from Podlister Owen Parker. Uh, now, the concept is that pulp songs often have titles that suggest some kind of small-scale suburban uh, drama with a soap opera sitcom ring to them. You know, wood chip on the wall, etc. So oh, I give right. you: okay. Is it a song by Pulp, or is it an episode of Are You Being Served? <laughs> and th these uh, overlap so precisely that actually there was a pulp album called His and Hers, and that was the title of an Are You Being Served with the Grace Brothers hire an attractive outside saleswoman, Joanna Lumley, to demonstrate a new unisex <laughs> line of perfume. So they do actually, you know, literally kind of uh, <laughs> coincide occasionally. So look, pulp track or Are You Being Served episode. Oh, what a tangled web. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. <laughs> That's good. Oh, what oh, a tangled web. Is that, is that a, a, song, a song by Pulp? Oh, yeah. It's Are You Being Served? It, it, both, you're right. Both Captain Pe <laughs> Peacock and Do Dr. Rumbold's secretary, Miss Hazelwood, are late, and it's rumoured that they're having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> it's really raw. I remember watching these things so vividly. All right, here's another one. Okay, right. Dear Sexy Knickers, Pulp song, Are You Being Served? Uh, I guess a pulp song. No, Mr. Lucas tries to salvage his bad day at work by sending a love note to Miss Brahms, asking her to meet him after work. His attempt to deliver the note is thwarted by Captain Peacock. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, help the aged. Help the aged. Are That's we in Grace Brothers? That's a it is pulp. It's pulp. It's pulp. It's from This Is Hardcore. One yes, time they were just like you, drinking, smoking cigs and sniffing glue. Extraordinary. <laughs> okay, Jarvis Cocker or Captain Peacock? The Punch and Judy Affair. Jarvis Cocker. It's no, no. The gentlemen's <laughs> and ladies' departments become pariahs when they choose not to take part in, part in a company-wide strike. Acrylic afternoons. Pulp. It is part. Actually, to be fair, are you being served? We've never had the word acrylic probably in the title. But yes, it is. Net <laughs> So slightly in the breeze, lemonade light filtering through the trees. Monday morning. Oh. Jarvis Cocker or Captain Peacock? Monday Captain morning. Captain Peacock. Captain Peacock. It's, it's pulp. Is this the light of a new day dawning? No, it's just another Monday morning. Okay. <laughs> do, you, do you take this man? <laughs> That's are you being served? Yeah, it sure. is. Yeah, Mrs. Slocum becomes engaged to a Greek man called Mr. Metaxas. However, on the morning of the wedding, bad news: the groom is already married. Hoping to help Mrs. Slocum, the staff decide to fake the wedding ceremony there in the store with Mr. Humphreys as her husband to be. God, I'd love to see that episode. That's a genius. <laughs> I'm, idea, isn't it? I'm sure you could go I'm on sure YouTube after sure this. Yeah, it'll be there. Don't worry. Oh, no, Don't absolutely. Worry. Very good. All right, two more pencil skirt. <laughs> that is pulp. It is, from different class. Now, you can tell some lies about the good times that you've had, but I've kissed your mother twice, and now I'm working on your dad. It's very good. OK, <laughs> conduct unbecoming. Oh, that, that's are oh, you being served. Yes, yes, it is indeed. Mr Humphrey is frequently late for work. It's revealed that an argument with his mother has forced him to move out. But they're <laughs> good, aren't they? 
It's good. Does Mr. Does Mr. Humphreys live with his mother? I didn't realise that. I'd I forgot that. And mind you, it's, it's so long since I've been uh, seen. Are you being served? We were we were talking about are you being served the other week, um, weren't we? When we talked about when Dolly Parton was taken off stage by her minder to uh, to rescue her from a stage invasion, and she she looked like um, like somebody moving a shop window a mannequin. mannequin. That's right, and that was. That was the name of the, the character. It struck me afterwards. The guy who played the caretaker or the janitor in Are You Being Served was surely Arthur English. I think he was. And whenever he appeared, he was always have a naked, <laughs> naked mannequin under his arm. <laughs> Where did you want this? <laughs> that was a kind of standard line. We forgot to talk about the, the other week. Um, did you see the story about... Uh, DJ Tiny, who was sacked by Capital Extra, I do for, for, for apparently charging two hundred pounds to uh, to play songs or to keep them on his uh, to keep them on his on his schedule, and uh, and he's been cast into the outer darkness for so doing. It's it's a long time since anybody's been been caught um, taking pay for play. It, st- it strikes me. I, I can't re- I can't remember where the last example was. Can you? Well, no, not really. There was a case in um, a case in the late nineties, I think. With was it with uh, Limp Biscuit? Do you remember that? Oh, really? There was Come a radio on. station uh, in Portland called KUFO one hundred and one, I think. And they, I think, actually, they got away with it. They said they'd launched a pay-for-play thing, so they were trying to be legal about it. They were saying, "Okay, we will oh, if right. you pay us, we will play your we'll record." Play. And they were playing various Limp Biscuit records, and then I think there was a court case whereby they had to declare that they were doing that, which they which they hadn't kind of made it obvious that this was advertorial. Uh, but I mean, uh, it must go on all the time, didn't it? And it made me think of Alan. I don't, I don't know. Does it really? I mean, I don't know because it must be. You know, if you wanted to hyper record, if you wanted to hyper record back in the fifties. A relatively simple thing to do, you know. That you, you gave Alan Freed fifty dollars. You gave Alan Freed fifty yeah. percent of the piece. What can I just say? Like, what a story, Alan Freed, though. Amazing, isn't it? Does anyone ever made a movie out of his life? Oh yeah, more than one. Spent in jail since. Oh, they're right. Okay, lost his show. Blackball was. Oh, and lost. Finished up in died. dying, penniless. You know. I mean, yeah, I yeah, know. absolutely. And cause and the the interesting thing about Alan Freed was that he's remembered for two things. One is payola, and the other is really Inventing loving the, the music. Really loving oh, the I music. Oh, I thought he invented you know, the, the, the expression rock and roll. Wasn't that Alan Ford? Well, no, I think he was the person who applied it to teenage music. It had been kicking oh, around okay. for ages in yeah. music. But, yeah, it's what he called, yeah. what he played, rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he genuinely loved it. But, but he wasn't above getting his fingers in the till at the same time. And I think that's something that's, um, that's insufficiently noticed in all these cases. Is that very often, you know, when Paola, yeah, I think there have been times when when Paola has been quite significant. If you take particularly the pirate radio era of, of British radio in in the mid sixties, uh, it very often goes along with really good records. And so <laughs> we were talking the other the other week, I think, about when we, and, uh, when we talk about Phil Spector and about how when the Righteous Brothers version of you've got the loving feeling against all odds overhauled silver blacks version yeah yeah to number one 
which nobody thought it would because Cilla Black was the nation's sweetheart and, and all the records went to number one. And nobody could believe it when Righteous Brothers passed her in the, you know, in the fast lane. And there must have been some jiggery pokery around yeah. that to, to make that happen. And if you look at, um, you know, we often say 1965 is the Annus Mirabilis of the 17th 45, you know, the great Rolling Stones records, great Motown records, great, you know, Otis Redding records, Bob Dylan and so forth. Well, there was hardly any legitimate above board radio play in Britain at that time, you know. There, so, there was the light the program. They hardly happened. ever played records, and and so, and so if you were not right... with with Alan Freed when he played the the Little Richard version of Tutti Frutti rather than the Pat Boone one. Yeah, you know probably. So it's possible probably. he was being uh, his palm was being greased to encourage him to do. Well, it, it is two two things going very often go together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you go go back to nineteen sixty five, you know you heard most music on Radio Luxembourg. And yeah. all Radio Luxembourg shows were sponsored by record companies. Yeah. You know, the Teen and 20 Disc Club was EMI or whatever it was. And there was uh, the 15 minutes, a half an hour on Saturday night that yeah. Tony Hall did was the Atlantic label. Uh, everything, everything was sponsored. And Pirate Radio, 66, 67, I, I think palms were regularly greased there. Oh, yeah. But very often, very often, in the interest of really good records. And so going back to, you know, uh, our charm G DJ Tiny here on Capital Extra, I say, does it really matter? It's working in a grand <laughs> tradition. Well, if you read those 70s uh, rock biographies, they get the, you get the impression that to get a record on the radio in America in the 70s did require a certain amount of inducement, didn't it? Well, I think it was I, no, the, not so much the 70s, more the 80s. And yeah, the eighties and when it came to came to a head, and I think a lot of that was very much like a kind of protection racket. It was very much like nice nice restaurant you got here wouldn't want to see anything unpleasant happen yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. so it was a bit similar with with that with radio stations that if you didn't play, if you didn't pay the people who control the radio play, they'd make sure you didn't get paid. Make sure you didn't exactly. So, so given the mon the money wasn't a guarantee that they would make your record a hit. But you can guarantee that if you didn't pay them, your record wouldn't be a hit at all. And it's really interesting. If you go and read about the, these cases, and I think it was in the late 80s, wasn't it? Very much came to the fore there. There were congressional hearings about this stuff that, um, that the American radio market was sewn up by people who worked for the syndicate and were all over the country. And, and when... I forget which. I think was it Columbia. I think said that they were all right. They weren't going to pay it any longer. They weren't going to pay it. They were simply not going to get involved with it. They wanted to be completely above board. Who were the people? Who were the people who were first to knock on the door of the record company saying, "You can't stop paying that"? Who were the people, Mark? The artists. It's, it's going to say the they were the people. These records desperately. <laughs> they were the bloody people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You grease all the palms you need if you if you can make my record a hit. I don't care at all, you know. So um, the way it used to happen at, at, at Radio One, it, it was just the, the stunts performed by the by the engineer by the pluggers. Do you remember that? I mean, the well, way yeah, that they, they, that was above board, of course, completely above board, totally above board. But I just just I do remember. I, I must have been. I suppose it would have been the mid eighties or whatever. I remember a, a record by ZZ Top coming out called TV Dinners. 
And some uh -huh. plugger, probably ferret and spanner, hired a hydraulic crane uh, at oh, no small no. expense and then winched it up to the window of all the radio producers and knocked on their windows and offered them from the outside a tray of fried chicken and coleslaw. And as that kind of thing was just somehow was it was devised to make them feel warm towards playing this record, which in fact I think they probably did actually. But as Maybe. I said, all above board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's all part of uh, it's all part of the rich pageant of the music business. It is the Word Podcast: prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So you would have seen, I'm sure, that the great Harry Pinsker, the Beatles' accountant, died, and there was a fantastic obituary in the Times. And it struck me, well, fascinating for lots of reasons. One is that the Beatles managed to surround themselves with people very early on that they retained almost throughout their entire career. You know, they had the same manager, they had the same producer, they had pretty much the same engineers, they had the same roadies. The press agent they had most of the time went off and did some time in America, but came back at the end. Fan club managers. It's really interesting. They just identified the right people and kept them. And one of those guys was, um, one of those people was Harry Pinsker. And Harry Pinsker was, I think, working with uh, Brian Epstein in the early days. And was, in fact, he did all of Epstein's stable, didn't he? He, did, he was the accountant for Silla Black and... Billy J. Kramer and all that game. But he started with the Beatles and he just, I, I felt, was really responsible for a lot of things that happened in their lives. You know, he was the guy who told them they were millionaires in 1964, when a million was the equivalent of today, 17 million. He kind of, and uh, the, the tax man, of course, celebrating the terrible information that he passed on about how much the government take. And then he, he was the guy who made them account for absolutely everything, all their grocery bills, you know, uh, he... he um, he was the one who advised them to buy all their houses. And uh, and he was the guy who, when faced with a three million pound tax bill in 1967, 68, it was, said, look, why don't you start a company? Why yeah. don't you start Apple? Because you'll otherwise you'll pay that money. You could just you could just lose it through a business enterprise, as they did. Everyone thinks they lost tons of money. Well, they did lose tons of money, but they would have lost that money anyway through tax. Yeah, yeah the, the government just, would have got it. The government would have got it, whatever. But, I mean, I thought that was just, I thought it was really interesting that that a, a lot of that advice um, and a lot of their career decisions came through him. Oh, absolutely, because... Yeah, they, they put all their energy into making it, don't they? And then yeah. suddenly, one day, one day, in yeah, a yeah. case, it was quite soon. Somebody comes along and says, now, tell you what, chaps, there's now a large sum of money. And you can't just leave this money. You've got to do something with it, yeah. you know, because it will, it will, you know, there's there's two kinds of money problems. There's, there's having no money and then there's having a lot of money. And, yeah, you know, yeah, they're both problems. Having a lot of money, and spending very, too much very, of it, very, and and also in the nature of pop music, you're gonna you learn it for a short period of time, and then you probably won't earn it anymore. Or yeah. You won't earn it for years or something. So you have to make the most of whatever you've got. No, he was obviously a person that they that they listened to, and then and then they say in their obituary that John Lennon can be heard on some. Some Beatles sessions in Harry Krishna, Harry Pinsker. That's you know, right. That's right. Yes, let it be sessions in the bank, in the background. Yeah, well, he actually be. he actually resigned because of Lennon, didn't he? Because I mean, he worked out that as a director of Apple, I think he would be sued for indecency. He could. They were could sued be. for indecency over the over the two virgins guy, and he rang up Lennon and said, "Look, you, do you really want to put this record out?" Was pretty much told to f off, and uh, and at that point resigned. But oh, what an interesting story! Amazing. I love the uh, I love the little detail in that obituary that when they all bought houses, 
and they were the most famous people on God's earth. Uh, suddenly, and, and the mid sixties, they all bought houses, and they they all wanted phone lines put in. And in those days, <laughs> it took six months, six months to get a phone. Oh, that's right. Phone Even phone. if you were John Lennon, that's right. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely <laughs> extraordinary. I, 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 well, I can remember it, it taking unbelievable. Yeah, uh, amounts of time to get phones put in, whereas nowadays it's not the case. Yeah, so Harry Pinsker. Uh... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, and, and also, you're going back to your, your first point about this, stick with people. I think it's very often the case that people do, because once you start giving people your financial information, you don't want to mess with that. No, you, do don't. You? You, don't, you don't want to say, all right, I want all the receipts back yeah. and everything. I'm going and to start again with somebody else. Yeah. It's like most people never change their bank account, do they? It's kind of for the, for the same reason. Exactly. You, know? you just, you just leave it alone. Yeah. So, um, we were talking about this this uh, report about I think it's an American report about uh, that seems to imply that that uh, all all the all the members of the burgeoning middle class of nowadays like to pretend that they're working class and uh, I think there was a survey done about this wasn't there recently Yeah uh, and what they found was that um, all, all, all these people who kind of been to university and you know had kind of professional jobs now that lifestyles and attitudes which are clearly utterly working class if you ask them what they were they would they would very much very quickly refer back to their to some struggling antecedent of theirs you know yeah. that, or it doesn't matter if I've got a company car and, you know, all this kind of stuff. My dad was a miner or my, yeah. my granddad works in the shipyards or whatever, you know. So, so that gives me, that, that, that allows me to pretend that I'm working class. And it, it struck me, it's a, it's a, a syndrome that, that's absolutely hardwired into pop music, isn't it? You know, that all groups, all members of bands like to pretend 
that they're slightly rootsier than they are. Yeah. It's just a weird thing, isn't it? Because if there's been one thing that's characterised my lifetime, is that everybody has sought to join the middle class, or if they're in the middle class, to stay in the middle class. Yeah. Yes. And 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 but nobody talks about that at all. And the term middle class is is a term of abuse, whereas as is the term upper class, whereas the term working class is a term of approval nowadays. If, if, well, if do you remember the old class system sketch? Escape it. Do you remember well, the well, sketch it, with, with Cleese and Ronnie Barker and, and, uh, and Ronnie Corbett? Ronnie you know, I look down on him and look down on him. I look up to him and look down on him. I have a pain in my neck, or it was. <laughs> you couldn't do that now. No, it's really interesting. Actually, I was just on, the, on a slight tangent. I was watching a television programme the other night. I was watching um, uh, Would I Lie to You, I think, and they introduced M- Miles Jupp, the comedian. And whilst I was introduced, he said, uh, he said, uh, uh, Miles Jupp, he said, uh, he's a comedian and actor who's so posh, he was born with a silver spoon in his butler's mouth. It's Miles Jupp. I thought, that's extraordinary, because if you're now posh, no one can avoid mentioning it. You're identified as being posh. Nobody used to. In the 1960s or 70s, nobody ever talked about it. David Niven was immensely posh. He was just a posh actor, but he wasn't identified as being a posh actor. You wouldn't have to deal with that baggage. He didn't have to apologise for it. No, he didn't apologise for it at all. No, no, no. The the actor James Norton was on uh, on Graham Norton the other night. The guy was in Happy Valley, and he played a kind of psychopathic rapist and murderer, kind of tattooed, you know. And he said he'd come back on the train after recording one of the episodes in his kind of, in his his gear with his fake tattoos on, because he wanted to show his kids. And people started talking to him, and he said, I didn't dare respond. And, and, And Norton said, why? He said, because if I do, I just sound like a prick. And you think, this is the guy having to apologise for the fact that he's got a posh accent, you know. Do you think it's extraordinary? Yeah. And also, you look at those at those musicians, you know, actually, it didn't matter. You know, the talking heads, Chris France's father was a general. Tina Weymouth's father was a vice admiral of the United States Navy. You know, G- Jim Morrison's dad was a, was a United States an, rear an admiral. admiral, wasn't he? You know, James Taylor, you know, posh, uh, you know, again, nobody had to allude to that. They, they might have no. reflected some of that in their songs. They might not, you know. But now, you know, if you're, if you're Coldplay or the Maccabees or uh, Lily Allen or whoever or Mumford, it's part of the package, isn't it? I suppose so. I suppose so. But it's the idea that they're expected to apologise, I think, is ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think anybody should have to apologise for any of that stuff, whether, whether you're privileged or not privileged. I don't think you should have to apologise for your age, whether it's old or young, you know. Yeah. It's... It's just who you are. You yeah, know, yeah, you, yeah. You, you take as you're fine. I'll tell you what, funny, talking about class, I'm just reading the new uh, biography of JFK. And uh, here's, here's social mobility, okay? Yeah. JFK's great-grandfather, yes, great-grandfather, comes from Ireland, 1840s, poor. He's a cooper, a barrel maker in Boston works every hour God sends so much that he dies at the age of 35, works himself to death, but he leaves four kids. One of those kids becomes a saloon keeper, runs for, you know, local council, whatever, so gets into, into politics. His son also gets into politics and becomes a multimillionaire. His son is president of the United States. Yeah. That's four generations. Incredible. From absolute poverty. I know. To, 
you know, uh, so to, to the extent that JFK oh, grew it? up, I mean, it's wealth and privilege, yeah. you know, so he's less than Brian Ferry's the one we often mention, isn't it? Brian Ferry's uh, father, I think, was a, was, a, was a miner, wasn't it? Brian Ferry was a kind of... Well, I think, he was, I think he was a retired miner, wasn't he? He used to look after, I think he's sort of retired miner, he used to look after horses... Yeah, that work down the pits, I think. But kind but, of work, work, working class, and then Brown's coming to yeah, yeah. class and goes to art school, and then Otis Ferry is the guy who invades the House <laughs> of Commons to protest on behalf of the fox hunters. You know, that's in three generations. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> the guy, the guy that we, I think we've talked about before, is Ian Dury. So I think it's fascinating because you have Viv Stanchel, Viv Stanchel from very poor East End, uh, Leytonstone, Walthamstow. I think he grew up in <coughs> background. <coughs> And his father convinced him to put on what he called a plummy accent because he thought he'd, he'd, he'd do better in life if he put on a plummy accent. But Ian Jury, you know, Ian Jury, who, who you know, came from Harrow Weald and Middlesex, but had to come from Upminster. His mum, Margaret Cuthbert Walker, granddaughter of an Irish landowner. And they moved to Switzerland. I think the Jury's lived in Switzerland for a while. His dad chauffeured a, a millionaire. So that's an interesting thing that the really, the really kind of working class guy was Viv Stanchel with the posh accent. And uh, Dury, you know, really played up the, the working classness. We, we, we hadn't come from quite such a humble background as Viv. Interesting. No, no, it's very interesting. I've got some record. I've got some CDs in front of me, which I just cool. I talk actually talking to Viv Stanchel. I found this last night, and uh, I was playing it, and I loved it. Songs the Bonzos taught. Oh, that's a great you record. Do you know this CD? Yeah, this, I do. It, if anybody out there is a kind of looking for the missing link in the Bonzo dog story, these are these are the original versions. Has he got, I'm going to take a watermelon to my girl tonight. <laughs> yes, it has. Which is great. Says, is I, I brought my love an apple and she let me hold her hand. I brought my love an orange and we danced beneath the band. I bought my love bananas. She let me squeeze her tight. I'm going to bring a watermelon to my girl tonight. Is that right? <laughs> oh, it's a little bit brilliant. It's done by the Savoy Havana band. That's right. The, the Ramon Newton on on the vocal. It's got it's got, it's got all, my father all made your the, 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 the noises for the talkies. It's got Jollity Farm. It's got yeah, Ali yeah. Barber's Camel. Hunting tigers out in India. India. Uh, my brother makes the noises for the talkies. A room with a view. All by yourself in the moonlight. By the wonderful whispering Jack Smith. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. That flies crawled up the window. So that's uh, that's a glorious thing. Is a Another one, and it is again. It, this is um, triggered by conversations we, we had this week at that Buena Vista Social Club. I, I dug that out because we were we were talking about that to uh, Ch Charlie Hickson, who was yeah. our, our guest in Word in Your Attic uh, earlier this week. And that'll be appearing soon. Uh, I don't, unless it has done already. I don't think it has done yet. Uh, that that'll be how that's fantastically good. Charlie Hickson is really, he was so really good. brilliant. He talks about the internal dynamic of how groups work and how comedy writing yeah. partnerships work. It's yeah. just so revealing and so knowing. Really, it was very, really interesting. And also, I sorry, I just, I just found this. I don't know if you know Erin Bowday. Do you know Erin Bowday? She's an American, oh, sort of jazzy singer-songwriter, and um, she's absolutely fantastic. And uh, never really made it. But and yeah. I just thought I'd learn. I was playing this record, and I thought, I wonder what she's up to at the moment. So I went and looked on her website, and obviously, she's like every other musician. Can't, got no gigs, whatever. Looking for whatever means of support, and I know we were talking, we were talking to Lloyd Cole the other the other well, 
few months ago now and he was he was doing handwriting his lyrics yeah yeah and selling them the, yeah the one to the right, presence and so forth well Aaron Baudet going one step further if you want a songwriting for oh, a particular occasion good. she'll do it bespoke she'll songwriting Bespoke songwriting. So your wife's 60th birthday. birthday. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, you know, there she is. Erin, probably erinbowday.com. You can no doubt find her. And listen, she's fantastic anyway. And so best of luck to her and to any other musician trying to keep, trying to keep body and soul together in these difficult times. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Okay. Any other business? We've been joined by Alex. Hello, Alex. You're right. Hello. I'm, I'm very well. Um, I'm in. Alex, you got, you, you the got beard has gone. You? And you've got a new microphone. Beard, I've replaced the beard with a new mic. That's it's my a co- whole new you. It's my coping mechanism. It balances the restored. Fr- yeah. The frill is gone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was starting to apply weight to my face. I could I could feel it pressing down. So um, I decided you're that... Laying, you know, you're letting the side down, Alex. I thought we were all going to end up at the end of when this bloody war is over looking like submarine crews who've been underwater for, for the well, best part of a year. The thing is, because I've got quite long hair, I, I in my mind, I, I, I looked like Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. But when I really sat down and thought about it, I just looked like Jim Morrison having let himself go. And I... I <laughs> And I couldn't cope with that disconnect anymore. 15 yeah, stone not, lighter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not as fat as that. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> so, Mark, what were you going to say? Oh, I just wanted to mention, just in terms of just little things that are worth listening to, um, The we should, we'll should we put a, a little uh, uh, link to this, but this lovely thing, Pete Perfides, who we've had on this podcast a, a couple of times, has posted a sweet thing where he's interviewing the Bee Gees in 1997, and he asks them to do an answer phone message for him. I think I sent it to you. And it's just so sweet. And that he wants them to sing, uh, if you want to get a message to Pete, hold on, hold on, and leave your name and number after the beep. Hold on. And they just Very do it good. in this absolutely perfect harmony. It's just adorable. It makes you think what sweet-natured guys they are. And they, they get it exactly right, and they keep redoing it to make sure they got the words right. And it's, oh, it's just lovely. We'll put a link to it. It's worth you. It's fantastic. Did you did you notice that uh, the the passing of Jim Weatherly, the man who wrote yeah. one of my absolute favourite songs, which is Midnight Train to Georgia. Uh, one of my favourites too. Do you know the story of Midnight Train to Georgia? He well, originally, originally Midnight Train, Midnight Plane to Houston. Midnight, midnight plane to Houston, yeah, and uh, and the origin of this is Jim Weatherly was a songwriter and and a very good uh, football player. Talking of which, it's the Super Bowl today, isn't it? And Bruce Springsteen has done his first ever ad for Jeep, uh, which is being unveiled tonight wow. on, the Super, on the Super Bowl. Anyway, Jim Weatherly was a, a ball player, and Lee Majors was a ball player. And Lee Majors was married to Farrah Fawcett, as in Farrah Fawcett Majors. And he rang up to speak to uh, to Lee Majors and got Farrah. And she said, well, tonight I've got to, I've got to take a midnight plane to Houston uh, to go and see family. And she thought he thought that's a good idea for a song. So he wrote a song called Midnight Plane to, to Houston, Midnight Train to Houston, I think. And then he put it out there. And the first producer who came back said, I want to record this, but I want to use Sissy Houston, who's, you know, Whitney Houston's mother. 
And I can't have it midnight train to Houston if it's done by Sissy Houston. Would you mind if I changed it to Georgia? Yeah, fine. Okay. I said, look, so keep the rest of the song exactly as it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> It's absolutely it's brilliant. Sweet God, story. I love that. I record. love that. So when we were in college, we were obsessed with that record, and we used to we used to sing it, and take the parts of either Gladys Knight or the Pips. And it's one of those rare records where the backing vocal is as integral as the uh, vocal itself. The whole song is an integral. There aren't many examples of that. Um, just a gigolo, possibly by Louis Prima, might be another one actually. But ones where it's uh, and helped by the Beatles actually is a, is, a, is possibly another. But it's one of those songs where it's all about the interplay between the two of them. It's fantastic. And I also... Yes. I, I, yes, I also love the idea that it's about failure. That it's a song about, I haven't made it. L.A. proved too much for the man. That's right. So he's going back to find a distant place in time or whatever. You know, it's like... Uh, do you I'd know rather live in his Santa, world than be without him in mind. Be yeah. without him in mind. But it's like, do you know the way to San Jose? Same thing, you know what I mean? Somebody leaving Hollywood, yeah. having tried to make it. Yeah. It's just too brutal. They're going back to the rest of America. So a wonderful, I, wonderful record. Go on. Whenever I hear a, a song on, like that, I can't help but think about how you can't do that with British place names, like Midnight Train to Cardiff just... or, or Runcorn. It, it's it, <laughs> just... Uh, and I, 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 don't, I, don't, I really want to find a way to make that to Midnight Train to Redditch. <laughs> but then, but, but do, you think, do you think it's also because the distances in Britain are just not far enough? It's just, everywhere is just an hour away. It's not. it's not a pilgrimage. Got to feel you going even, across. Even Aberdeen is, you know, not yeah. that far away, really. No, it's yeah, got yeah. to be uh, hundreds of miles of of scenic landscape. You know. We haven't, don't have any romance about our place names at all. You think of all the ones in America, the 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 the, the geography, people's obsession with place names, and uh, they all sound fabulous to us. But uh, it, the reverse is not true. But also, Americans regularly move. It seems to me they live in San Francisco, and then they just uproot and they go and live in Houston, and then they might go to live in New York. I don't think people do that in Britain. They tend to come from home very often go to London and then never really go back or whatever. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't feel people are born in Cambridge and then go to Cardiff. I don't know. I may be completely no. wrong. No, that's true. Um, I never feel that at all. Anyway, what else? Elvis Costello's uh, very touching obituary for his oh, mother. Oh, that's wonderful. It's so mm. sweet. I Immensely detailed. Extraordinary! It's like a novel, isn't it? It's, uh... Well, it, it struck me. Elvis was a, a, a an only child. It just struck me that he couldn't have had a more colourful and vivid musical uh, education. Yeah. You know, his dad was in the the covers band, bringing home records before they'd even really been released. So he had that access to music. And his mum and dad met. I think in um, she got. A, sales job in Draper's music shop and then she got a job in the jazz department of another record shop and that's where she met uh his dad and they yeah. they had they had uh, they ran jazz nights called Bop City uh, just so brilliant I think so, so he was the child he was the child of record nerds wasn't completely he? Really? record nerds and live performance nerds there's a bit in his autobiography where he talks about going to the uh, Hammersmith Palais as a kid where his dad's band were playing 
and how uh, he said they, they had a cocktail of spilt beer, stale tobacco, and stifled the stifled tears of jilted girls. I thought that really meant that you're really understanding the whole business of, of uh, live yeah, venues yeah. there. Oh, it's an amazing. Yeah. It's really, really touching, I think. Yeah, very definitely, very definitely. So what else, what's going on, Alex, in the in the world of Word in Your Ear? Anything we should tell people about? We have The, the some quiz goes from strength oh, go to on. strength. Go in, on, in, yes, go on. Okay, so uh, I'd like to extend a hearty welcome to Stuart McAllister. I, I said I was... I said I, I must do this in the next week. I'm actually going to see if I can buy a bosun's whistle. Okay. So can <laughs> That's what we need to so just... people pipe people aboard okay and i think i know the place where i can get a bosun's whistle or a duck quack (laughs) (laughs) it needs to be a noise that accompanies the idea of somebody arriving doesn't it yeah yeah go on go on okay uh mark stevens good man welcome mark dougie jones of course and annual patrons uh, of course you get a 15 percent discount on your subscription if you subscribe annually (sighs) tanya correa Hello, Tanya. John Hilton. Right. Well, nice, Much nice to have them all on board, and on board. Uh, you know, we'll we'll be uh, marking more people's birthdays in the next week, won't we? I think, Alex. Yeah, I think, I think we've got, got we're, we're three or four this week, this month. Three or four this good. week. Uh, they've all a lot been, of fun to do. They've all been terribly entertaining. Incredibly good. We did uh, Keith Adsley the other day. It was terrific. Really, really yeah, fun. very good. Really enjoyed. Uh, it. And so the word in your attics uh, continue. You know, over the last week we've had what have we had? Jonathan Coe over the last week. Uh, we uh, we did uh, Charlie, Charlie Hickson, Hickson uh, last week, uh, and we got Midgeor coming up uh, yes. in, in the next week, and and more. So, you know, usual drill. If you want to make sure you get all of this, and you get it in full, and you get it in pictures where applicable, and you you, you get it first, and you don't miss anything, and also get the warm glow of feeling that you're somehow, you know. Putting coal on the fire here, not just sitting around <laughs> borrowing a bit of heat. Uh, you know, there's only one way to do that, and that's to draw near by being a Patreon supporter. And you go to patreon.com slash word in your ear. You'll find the various different ways of doing that. Anything further to add, Alex Mark? No? I think that's it. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.